Well, once more, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, where we should be on every Lord's Day, outside of the providence of God, hindering us from being here. Uh, I think Brother Steve and Sister Marta have uh, experienced some of that, uh, and uh, I believe their hearts were here with us, though, and I trust that uh, uh, they are very, very thankful to be back in the house of the Lord. I'd like to uh, lovingly encourage everyone to uh, uh, be in the Bible study uh, that we have uh, before the services every Sunday morning, every Lord's Day morning, and every uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, I guess I can speak for myself, but uh, Brother Russell has been teaching us out of the book of Job, and it has been an extremely blessed uh, time, and uh, I, I would encourage you to attend if you can. All right, uh, in Revelation, the fifth chapter of the Revelation this morning. We would like to read all of this chapter, but for time's sake, we're going to limit it to a few verses here, uh, beginning with verse 4. In the fifth chapter of the Revelation, and uh, we'll read uh, verses 4, 5, and 6, and then 7, and uh, then drop down to verse uh, 11. So, verse 4, the Apostle John says, And I wept much. Why? Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Here is a very important book. Uh, it's got seven seals on it. And no man has been found up to this point that could open those seals. And so we find John weeping, and he, he says, much. I've thought about this so much in the past, One why John would be weeping over the fact that no one was found to open the book. And I believe the correct answer to that is simply that the opening of this book and the fulfilling of what is in those seals is what brings this ungodly world to a close. That the world cannot end until these things that are prophesied here in this, this, uh, these seals, if you will, have been carried out. They've been fulfilled according to the purpose of God. So we can understand why John would weep so much. But then in verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. 
And why not, John? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And then dropping down to verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, let me just pause there. I love to reflect upon this. Can you begin to imagine the joy then that is expressed by these 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels as they praise God there in the heavens. I can just uh, begin just slightly to imagine these things and look forward to the day when we will be in the midst of them and we will hear them ourselves with our own ears Uh, Much like uh, Job, again, says that he will see God with his own eyes after those skin worms has devoured his body. What an amazing thought that is, Brother Russell. That is just, uh, just, I I look so forward to that day, and I I trust that you do too. But uh, I just can't help but reflect a little bit upon these angels as they are singing the praises of God. And so here's what they're saying. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I guess we could just go on and on and on. But there is in these words a, a, a very uh, a vivid thought of the, the worthiness of the Lamb. And we're going to get into that more a little bit later. But what I'm, I'm looking at today is the Lion and the Lamb. There are two personalities here. The Lion and the lamb. Now, the lion, as far as our scripture reading here, comes first. The lamb is afterward. But let me say right now that the lamb has to come before the lion in the spiritual organization of God's purpose. The lion cannot come until the lion, the lamb 
has been slain. In fact, the, the, the lamb is the one that justifies the actions of the lion, the lion. Now the lion is the king of beasts, right? And when the lion roars in the jungle, in the forest, what happens? Everything pays attention. It alerts everybody because when the lion roars, I mean all day long, he has been asleep. He's been at rest. But now the time has come. He roars and the whole forest kingdom knows that he is going to be prowling and after the prey. The same thing I believe is taking place here is in these breakings of these seven seals, the lion is beginning to roar. And we see this in the breaking of the seals themselves. Over in chapter 6 then, we begin and we see this, the breaking of the seven seals. And we begin there in verse 1, and John says, And I saw when the Lamb... Now wait a minute. Where's the lion? Well, the Lamb has to come first. And in fact, if you read this whole chapter of chapter 5, and you read chapter 6, you will understand that the f focus really is upon the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And so we see here that he is characterized here, and by the way, uh, who is this lion and this lamb? Are they two different characters? No, they're exactly one and the same. What a marvelous thing it is. You know, God is, is so marvelous, isn't he? He is so wonderful. He is so uh, beyond our comprehension. And no wonder he says that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But as he tells us of his thoughts and tells us of his ways, we understand them. And we rejoice in them and we begin to worship him. Just as if you read the rest of this fifth chapter, you'll see that the beast and the four and twenty elders, they fall down and they worship the Lord. Now they've already done this over in chapter four, haven't they? And so we see here a, a constant, a constant and if you go over in chapter 4, I believe you'll find that they're doing this day and night. Sure going to lose a lot of sleep there, are we? Well, really not, because you see, and when we get there, there's not going to be really any night. It's all going to be day. <laughs> so, but this is the thing. And as we read this, 
again, is going to attribute this to the lamb here in chapter 6. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in uh, in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, and holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And when and white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, They should rest. Yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Moon became as blood. Stars fell from heaven unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together and every mountain and every island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Not a very pretty picture, is it? Destruction, death, misery is foretold to us in the breaking of these seals. The only one that is the exception to that would be the first one, perhaps, and there is a lot of controversy over whether the pale horse rider represents the Lord Jesus 
or whether he represents Satan. And I won't go into that and get into that uh, because it's not my point. My point is that when the lion roars, he might say again, well, uh, he doesn't talk about the lion here. But again, one more time, the lion and the lamb are the same. And the lamb is the reason for the roaring of the lion. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean just this, that because Christ came to this earth and he gave himself a ransom because he came and because he lived and fulfilled the law, because he lived and he suffered uh, immeasurably under the hands of man and then on that cross he suffered more immeasurably even to the extent that I believe that Christ in his manhood could not fully understand just what a, a tremendous thing it was going to be for God to forsake him completely. But because of what Christ is, who he is, and what he has done, he has condemned the world. And his condemnation is just. Many, many people, in fact, I, I, I think I would be pretty correct to say that most people today decry any idea that God would be as vengeful, if you will, as the Bible portrays him to be. But the reason that they charge God really with being a tyrant. That's what they're really saying. They charge God with being unjust. The reason they do that is because they do not understand the consequences of sin. They do not understand the, the unholiness of sin the unrighteousness of sin, the unjustness of sin. But when, on the other hand, when a person truly sees the righteousness and the justice of God, when they see this as Abraham saw again over in the 18th chapter of Genesis, when he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what? Right. And he will do right. God, we are told, who cannot sin. In fact, James tells us that he cannot even be tempted with sin. The world doesn't understand this in 
this 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 holiness and righteousness and justice of God as compared to the unholiness, the unrighteousness, and the injustice of mankind. And sometimes I wonder about myself, just how much I truly understand the difference between God and myself. God is absolute holiness. And everything else that's good. He's absolute righteousness and he's absolute justice. He's absolute love. He's absolute mercy and faith. And we could go on and on. It goes all the way back to the third chapter of Exodus. When God said to tell the people of Israel, I am has sent thee. Anything that is good, you can put behind that I am, and it is the characteristic of God. And it's really the only place that holiness, judgment, righteousness, love, faith, on and on, it's the only place that these originate. Why do you love God if you do love him? Why do you love him? Because he first loved you. So we see here the, the avenging of God. Now in the breaking here of this fifth seal, we see the saints of God, right? We see them under the throne. And we see them asking of God when he is going to avenge them of their enemies. And God tells them they're going to have to wait a little while, but he does give them white robes, doesn't he? Indicating that they are pure now and holy and righteous and just and all the things that pertain unto God and the Christ, because the purpose of God from the very beginning in electing his people was to conform us to the image of his Son. But he tells them they're going to have to wait for a little while, until what happens? Until their brethren that must be slain, until that has been accomplished. Now, you could read more about this over in Daniel chapter 11, 
We won't go over there today to do that, but you can read more about it over there. But here we see the, the wrath of God against all unrighteousness being poured out upon the earth, and it is typified by that roaring of the lion. Now, once again, you've read your Bibles, I hope, I trust, I believe, and you know how much of the Bible is devoted to the wrath of God. If you've read this book of the Revelation, you know how much of it is devoted to the wrath of God. We have the seven trumpets, right? After the seven seals. And then we have the seven vials of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. But there is a purpose for it. And it is to show the almighty power of God against all unrighteousness of men, which the Paul writes in, in the letter to Rome, the church at Rome, that God, that men have held in unrighteousness, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God. What's the next word? Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the earth or the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise 
they became fools and so forth as we go on down to the end of that chapter. But the point is that all men are accountable unto God because of the knowledge that God has put in them and also around them. We could go back over to Psalm chapter 19, right? Where we see that the, the whole heavens testify of God so that there is no language in all of the world that cannot read these things that God has set forth. You know, it's one of the big problems that's going on today among uh, the, in this world and even in the churches is that the things that God has ordained, like parenthood, like childhood, like marriage, all of these things that, that God has ordained as far as our everyday normal lives are concerned that are, were designed to point to Him are all being taken out of the way. They've been, they're being destroyed. Even to the degree that now Many of our so-called leaders, they can't even define what a woman is or a man is. They don't know the difference between a human and an animal. They have no knowledge of these that because they have chosen to put God out of their minds as the psalmist says again, they become fools. How tragic it is then for the world, at least from a human standpoint. But I ask you this question, is it tragic from God's standpoint? No. In fact, it's just as he has designed it, as he has foreordained it and predestined and purposed it to be in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. He did say in the fourth chapter of Hebrews that all of his works were finished from when? What point? From the beginning? And they're going to come to pass. And we may have some questions, you know, as just to how this is going to take place. But there is no question that it is going to take place and it's going to take place exactly at the time and in the way that God has purposed it. 
Now, this, uh, this brings us, I trust, more to consider the Lamb. Now, the Lamb is that doesn't roar like the lion, does he? But how is the li- the lamb? How is he? Uh, how is he depicted? Well, there's no better one to ask than Christ Himself, is it? And He tells us this over in Matthew chapter eleven, right? In verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. In other words, again, as we are being conformed to the image of Christ, it is for the purpose of finding rest for our souls. In finding peace, my peace I leave with you, right? Not as the world. Because, you see, there has never been any peace in the world since Adam and Eve partook of that first fruit. And there never will be until it's all been restored. Think not, right, that I'm come to bring peace, but a sword. That's as far as the world is concerned. But not, not so with God's people. The whole purpose of God's salvation, as far as our, his people is concerned, is to bring us into peace and to bring us into rest. By faith in him, by trust in him, by the love of Christ in us, by the, the, the glory of Christ in us. There is peace. There is joy. In fact, the kingdom, uh, Paul tells us again in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the, uh, the kingdom of God is not in what? Eat and drink, meat and drink. And, uh, it, it's not in these worldly things, but what is it? It's in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy 
Coast. Another one of my uh, favorite scriptures because it brings such a sense of peace to me is in Isaiah chapter 32. I can get over here to it. In verse 17, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. Now, in actuality, you see, there is no peace, saith my God, unto who? The wicked, yes. Why isn't there going to be peace in the world? Because it's wicked. John tells us this over in 1 John chapter 5, right? And we know that the whole world lieth in what? In wickedness. There can't be any peace there. Why? Because it's enmity. It's all fighting against God. The only peace, the only real peace is found in being conformed to the image of Christ to be reconciled unto God and having those old things to pass away and all things becoming new. The work then of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance for how long? Forever. This is what God is working in us through Christ and His Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And that is the joy of the Holy Ghost. And it's all brought about by the Lamb so that God in the Lamb hath not appointed us to what? To wrath. He has not appointed us to wrath. Because the Lamb has offered Himself in our stead. And God seeks to honor the Lamb, the Christ, the one that he named Jesus. And so as we look at the Lamb, I think that one thing I would to God today that we could all understand everything exactly alike that we could all interpret the same scripture the same way every time. 
But we don't, do we? But there's one thing that if we are the children of God, there's one thing that we can and must agree on, and that is worthy is the Lamb. You see, the Father himself has said that Christ should have the preeminence. We, we rejoice. That is, that is our greatest joy, is to confess Jesus. So we all can agree that worthy is the Lamb. But again, using myself as an example, you know, I, I, re I really believe that it has just been recently that I really began to grasp this thing of worthy is the Lamb. You know, we say a lot of things that we don't really understand. We believe that they're true, but we don't really understand them. But when God opens our eyes and we begin to see Again, I can't help Brother Russell going back to Job. Job said at one time he heard with the hearing of his ears. But when God got through teaching him, he said, now I see with my eyes. So it is with many of us, or all of us, it has to be all of us, uh, many times. And so we pray that prayer, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And so as we look at the Lamb and the worthiness of the Lamb, there, there's something very lacking there uh, as far as I am concerned uh, I'm talking about me personally is concerned when I read this I don't find my name it doesn't say Worthy is Paul Jordan. Yeah. 
because we go back up to verse 4, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to even look thereon. So my name is not found to be worthy. Your name is not found to be worthy. I have concluded, of course I have concluded this long ago, but again I understand it more and more. I never will in all eternity I never will be worthy. The only one that is going to be worthy is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So what about me? Well, Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 14. Hard to get away from Isaiah, isn't it? It says, Fear not. Thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. You know, Daniel says in chapter 4, verse 35, that all the inhabitants of the world are accounted as what? Nothing. People, we're just, without God, without Christ, we are but the dust of the earth. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, he says there that the, you know, the grass is just cast into the oven. James classifies our, 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 uh, Describes us as uh, as a vapor that today is Mars passed away. In myself, I'm just a worm. Now let me say this here. Once again, in all of eternity, I will never be worthy of the death the burial, and the resurrection, the love of God in Christ Jesus. That does not mean, though, that I'm worthless. For you see, God also foreordained in Christ Jesus that we should bring forth what? Good work. 
He has put his love in our hearts that we should love one another. And we're the only ones that can do that. The world cannot do it. But God has given us that ability. Now there are other things that um, God warns us. You know, if it wasn't for his mercy, they would all be consumed. We we have nothing of which to boast. And again, in Job, where were you, Job? Thank you, Brother Russell. Thank God for these lessons. But where were you, Job, when the morning stars sang and the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, it's all of God. And it's all to God's glory. But what am I commanded to do? I'm commanded to deny myself and follow the Lord. Do you like that commandment? Sure. If you're one of God's people, you rejoice in it. Deny yourself. Why? Because we're unworthy. But follow the Lord because he is. Worthy is the Lamb. Brother Russell. Amen.